You know, our hearts do break for those people in Uvalde. And you know, everything can be politicized. I said that I think last week or the week before, that everything can be politicized. But evil is evil. In whatever shape or form that it comes in. And we uh, watched evil unfold. But there is an answer for evil. And that answer is Jesus Christ. And so this morning, I would like to lead us in a prayer for those who have been affected by evil. Maybe it's some of you in this room. Maybe something in the past has affected you. Maybe there is something that you're dealing with now, some sort of evil. And I'd like to just address that in the name of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father God, what an awesome opportunity we have Because of the country that we live in, we can come and worship you freely. And Lord, that may not be forever. It may change someday. But for now, we have the opportunity to come and sing praises and worship and honor and bring glory to your name. And in the the name of Jesus, Father, We rebuke the evil. It's in every corner of the world, every every place we turn, even in our home state of Texas. Maybe it's in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our schools. So Father, whatever evil is out there, whatever is happening in our lives, We know the one that is the victor. We know the one that can overcome. We know the one that can heal. We know the one who has the power. And his name is Jesus. So Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would comfort those who've been affected by this evil. And Lord, we stand on the promise And we trust your word that says that that evil will not last forever. That there will be a day. That that evil will be judged and it will be cast into that fiery sea. And we thank you, God, for that. Thank you that you have a plan and a purpose. Thank you, Father, that your will will be done And I pray it be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' great name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now I know some of you have been coming every week through our series, A Portrait of a Healthy Family. You'll say, oh no, not back into 1 Corinthians 7. Because we had some heavy stuff to talk about in 1 Corinthians 7. But yes, we're back in 1 Corinthians 7 this morning. And as we've been talking about a healthy family and what that portrait of a healthy family looks like, we have spent a lot of time on husbands and wives, on fathers and mothers, on children, on parenting. We've talked a lot about marriage and what it means to have a Christ-honoring, a Christ-centered marriage. And today, as we move forward in our series, A Portrait of a Healthy Family, 
I want to talk to a special group of people out there this morning. Now, this is a wide-ranging group of people, but I want to talk about singleness this morning. It's singleness. You think about it, we've talked about marriage quite a bit, but the Bible also talks about singlehood and what it means to be single and how you can honor God in your singleness. And I want to talk about that today. When you think of singleness, what do you think of? Do you think of those who have never been married? Do you think of those who have gone through a divorce? Do you think those who have lost their loved one, their spouse to death? What do you think of when you think of singleness? Well, we're going to talk to singles this morning and in each of those categories. When I think of a family of one, I think of all of those different categories. And particularly for me, and I think the older I get, uh, I think about those who have lost their loved ones to death. We have some widows and widowers in this room this morning. And so I pray as we go through this message today that this would be a comfort to you. That this would encourage you. That you would see that even in your singleness after years of marriage that God still has a place for you. That he still has a task for you. That you are not done. That you have worth in this world. And then we think about Today being Memorial Day, or this weekend being Memorial Day. Some of you have lost loved ones because of the horrors of war. And when we come to this Memorial Day, while you appreciate it, it brings back those tearful and hurtful memories. You've lost a, a husband or a wife or brother or a sister or a child, perhaps, to war. And maybe because of that war, you were made single. And for many of you uh, that have lost a loved one, you feel all alone. You feel desperate. You feel misunderstood. Your, your children have moved away, or you, perhaps you have moved away to Holly Lake Ranch, or whatever the case may be. I'm kind of glad to be in Holly Lake Ranch and my kids are still in Dallas. I don't want to go back. But you feel lost and lonely and you're hurting. Your, your kids don't come as quite as often as they used to. The grandchildren don't call you as much. And if you haven't figured out texting, you'll never talk to your grandchildren or your great-grandchildren, right? But there are other singles in this room. There are some that have been singled not because of their own doing, but they went through a divorce they did not want. There's other singles that have decided to stay single. There are other singles that have not found that perfect person to marry, to spend the rest of their life with. And so when I think of a family of one, I think of a great deal of different types of singles that are in this room this morning. And the Bible has much to say to the family of one. And if you have your copy of scripture open, I need to remind you of what's going on in the church in Corinth. Here in chapter 7 is unique because up to chapter 7, Paul, he, mo he moves from the explanation of doctrine and practical uh, 
uh, practice and practice necessary for the unity within the church. So he's been talking about unity in the church and the practice that you need to have and, and the correct doctrine and the, the things that you need to do within the church. And then in chapter seven, it kind of changes because Paul is being asked a series of questions. And many of those questions that he's being asked uh, has to do with marriage and family and singleness and widows and widowers. And so when you read chapter 7, you'll see that uh, each time Paul answers one of those questions, he'll say something like, now concerning. So he's going back to the question that they had asked. And so he's being very practical right here. And so here today, we too can be very practical with what God's word says. This whole chapter in chapter 6 and chapter 7 talks about marriage, it talks about love, it talks about sex, it talks about singleness. And as we read these two chapters and you study these two chapters, you'll see that everything, any place in life where you find yourself, whether you're married or single or divorced or widowed, you can find something here in these two chapters that relate to who you are in the life circumstance that you're in. Every one of us fall into one of these categories. So the good news is, you are not walking alone. We are walking with God. So if you have your Bible, look in verse 8. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 8. He says, To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. The two categories of families that we'll look at are, are these that are this category of family are these singles. These are widows and widowers. We know what, whom these people are. These are people who have lost their spouse to death. I don't think any more explanation needs to be done. But if you remember this word unmarried that he uses here, this word unmarried could mean two or three different things. Number one, it could mean most likely it was a widower, a man who has lost her, his husband. Ooh, I better make sure I get that right, huh? I'll have a whole community yelling at me. A man who has lost his wife was not called a widower. There was no, no, really no word in the Greek for widower. It was unmarried. And so a man who has lost his wife was called an unmarried. But then there are other two, two other kinds of unmarried. The first one is that of divorce. So if you were married and got a divorce, you are unmarried. And then the third is that person, whether it's male or female, who has had sex outside of marriage and is not married. They are called the unmarried because we know that because if you jump down in verse 36, we see the word uh, it could be, depending on your translation, it could be betrothed, it could be fiancé. I think the NIV gets it right, and it says virgin. And this is a person, of course, who has never had sexual relationship, male or female. So we see right here that Paul is talking to singles, every category of singles. And if you find yourself in one of these categories, whether it was your choice or not, or if you're longing to be married, I want you to hear this. God has a plan for you. Now, isn't that comforting to know that God has a plan for you no matter where you fall in this scale of singleness? First of all, singleness, you should write this down if you're a single person. 
Singleness is a gift of God. And you go, oh, no, it's not. I've been wanting to get married forever or I lost my spouse. And you don't know how uh, there's been a void in my life since I've lost my loved one. I understand. But can I tell you, scripture tells us that singleness is a gift of God. As you know, much of society is planned around couples, right? I mean, even things at the church most of the time is planned around couples. And it's, uh, I think most of us just assume that when we grow up, I mean, I looked at my daughters as they were growing up and they had wedding dresses picked out at the age of 13 years old. I'm going, slow down, girl, right? But I think little girls and little boys, we look forward to that day that we get married to walk the aisle. I had the uh, privilege Friday night to marry Cord and Cana. Congratulations, guys. Uh, We... We, we plan that in our lives, that we want to get married. And you want to find that perfect partner and live happily ever after. And if you don't, then, well, society would tell you that there's something wrong with you. But that's not true. That's the wrong way of thinking. And you know what? This is not new thinking either. Over 2,000 years ago, Rabbi Eleazar said, any man who has no wife is, a, is no proper man. This was during Jesus' time. And then the Talmud, do you know what the Talmud is? It is the Jewish civil and ceremonial law. And listen to what it says. The man who is not married at 20 is living in sin. Wow. So this has been around for generations, for millennia actually. Think about that compared to what the New Testament says about singleness. Paul says that it is a gift. In verse 7, you can go look. In verse 7, it says that it is a gift. And in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus said that the, the disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. You see that even Jesus said singleness is a gift. It is a gift from God. And I understand that some of you may not feel that way. But what scripture says, it says that singleness is a gift of God. Singleness is not second best. And I know that maybe you think that, and that's the way society has portrayed singleness, that it is second best, but it is not. If you are single, however you became single, believe this, the Bible says that it is a gift of God. And you may ask, what if I don't think I have the gift of singleness? I've longed to be married. Or I long for my spouse to be back in my life. I don't feel like this is a gift. I I feel like it's a curse. See, when Paul speaks of singleness as a gift, he isn't speaking of a particular ability. He's, you know, we talk about spiritual gifts and discernment and administration and evangelism and the list could go on and on. It's not talking about it as a gift as if you have some sort of an ability to have it. Rather, he is speaking of the state of being single. Where you are right now in your life is exactly where God wants you to be. That should bring you comfort. As long as you uh, are being single, it is a gift from God. Just as marriage will be God's gift if and when you receive it. 
And we should receive our situation in life, whether it is singleness or marriage, as a gift of God's grace on our lives. Number two, singleness has advantages. Singleness has advantages. Now, when I say my next sentence, I don't want all the married folk in this world, room, especially you men, you better not say amen, okay? Because you might find yourself single. You ready? Single people are spared the troubles of marriage. You can laugh. But it's true. It's what the, that's what Paul tells us. Yes, there are blessings and benefits of being married, but there are also great difficulties when in a marriage. Life can get more complicated when you get married. You have killed children, you have a spouse, you have responsibilities. Look at verse 28. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you of that. See, Paul is telling us right from the get-go, listen, in a marriage, you're going to have some troubles. Again, men, don't say amen, okay? So Paul says that he would spare you of those difficulties and and the complications of marriage. But, but why? Well, look at verse 32. He says in verse 32, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. You can say amen to that. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord. How to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things. How to please her husband. So do you see the reason why Paul would spare you from the difficulties of marriage? Because he says single people can devote themselves more fully to God's work. I think about my place in life my uh my life situation versus i'm going to use robbie because i'm with him every day robbie is still a young man with little children and as i see robbie running i mean he is running he has baseball for both ava and josiah he he has uh, lacy i mean he has a lot on he never gets to just take a nap and when you're an empty nester, that's one of the blessings of being an empty nester, amen? We can take a nap. But I look at Robbie and Lacey in their life and they're so busy, they, they have so many things. And listen, I loved it when my girls were in the plays or sang in the choir or went to this activity or that, but thank God they're over. I like being an empty nester. And one of the reasons I like being an empty nester is because the only person I have to please now is one, and she's pretty easy to please. Just get out of the house and leave me alone. <laughs> and as you can see with Paul and what Paul is saying, he's saying, listen, it's tough being married and you put kids on top of it, it gets tougher. But if you're single, you can devote your life to serving your Savior. I think that's an awesome thing. Number three, God understands singleness is hard. 
Singleness is hard. I understand. God understands. When God saw Adam all by himself in the garden, what did he say? He said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a, a helper fit for him. So Eve was created to meet Adam's need for companionship. And the two came together in lifelong relationship of marriage. And although the New Testament is positive about singleness, there's no doubt marriage is regarded as the norm, both in society and in the Word of God. We can't, we can't make it any other way. It is what God has attended, intended for most of us. It is God's loving gift to humanity and the chief context in which our desires for intimacy is met. Single people are likely to struggle with loneliness and sexual temptation. Some will seek to lessen those temptations by getting married. Singles are likely to face a lifelong battle with aloneness and that temptation to find someone to love. Loneliness and temptation seem to go hand in hand, do they not? The lonelier you are, the more likely you may struggle with that sort of temptation. You feel like you need to find love, and, and many singles equate love with physical intimacy. But that really is not the case. We aren't designed to be on our own. That's true. The Bible, God has created us for relationship. The reason God created you was to have a relationship with you. So he has created us to have a relationship with other people as well. So if that's right, to seek to satisfy our need for intimacy and relationships is right as well. But it has to be healthy, intimate relationships. It means taking the initiative and keeping in close contact with friends and family. It means leaning on those people that are closest in your life and getting your intimacy from them. And we all must be disciplined and hold tight to what 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, where Paul tells us to flee sexual immorality. And it might be helpful to find a, those two or three close friends that will hold you accountable in this area of your life. Number four, singleness is not forever. I want you to remember that. No matter where you are in life, singleness is not forever. Now, it may feel that way to some of you. Many who are presently single will get married someday. Others of you may never marry. Or you may never marry again. But listen to this. No Christian is single forever. Did you know that? None of us, whether we're married or single, all of us will have a wedding day. Marriage is a reflection of our relationship with God. Scripture speaks of Jesus being the bridegroom and we the church, us, you and I, married and unmarried alike, we are his bride. Hallelujah. What a great day that will be. He has promised to take his bride to be with him for all eternity in a perfect a new creation called heaven. And on that day, all pain, even that pain of loneliness, even that pain of misunderstanding, even that pain of longing for someone to be in your life, all of it will disappear. God will wipe away every tear you have shed. 
for your lost loved one or the tears that you have shed for that broken marriage. God will be there to wipe them away. Listen to what it says in Revelation 19. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Are you ready? Are you ready for that wedding to be? Are you ready to be the bride of Christ? And whether you are single or married, whether you are a follower of Jesus Christ, are you ready to be his bride? Are you living a life that would honor the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ and him alone? Listen, it's not about how much money you put in the plate or how many times you serve in a week here at the church. None of that matters. The only thing that matters is that you realize that there is something called sin that separates you from God. And because of that sin that separates you from God, that bridge to God has been broken. And the only one can that bridge that bridge that can put you back in touch to God is Jesus Christ himself, who God in the flesh came to this earth and died on the cross for your sin. If you put your faith in Jesus, in him alone, if not, today is that day. Now, I want to say something too our widowers for just a moment. Some of you have recently been widowed. Some of you have been widowed for a long time. I keep a file of illustrations, and I've had this for quite some time, and I'd like to read it to you. It comes from Open Windows, many of you, are, I'm sorry, My Daily Bread, not Open Windows. So I'd like to just read this to you. It says a Christian knew he should visit a woman whose husband had recently died. He dreaded the idea because she had been despondent. Yet he decided to go because he knew it was right, according to James 1.27, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. When he arrived at her door, he was surprised to find her in a cheerful mood. What has changed your attitude, he asked. Well, she answered, I've been reading my Bible more faithfully since John died, and I found in Psalm 146 that the Lord would take care of me. I received new courage because I was so, so comforted by his promise. Those who saw the woman's radiant face and renewed trust in God were impressed by the transformation he had brought about in her life. She was greatly encouraged when her church rallied to support and meet some of her physical needs. And let me pause our deacons do a wonderful job of that. Thank you, deacons. In Matthew 23, 14, Jesus tells us to honor widows and contemns those who take advantage of them. Jesus' own mother was likely widowed. So he knew what it meant to take care of a widow person. In Exodus 22 and Proverbs 15, Scripture tells us God's special care and concern for those who have lost their spouse. And I understand your best friend, your closest companion, is gone. Whether you lost your spouse recently or you've been alone for years, I'd like to just read Psalm 146 to you and let you just bask in what it says. 
This is a Psalm of David. It says, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. But put not your trust in princes, in the Son of Man, in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. I'd like to just make a couple of observations and we're done. The Hebrew word praise here, where it says praise the Lord, praise the Lord, that word is just a transliteration of the Hebrew word hallelujah. And David is singing out hallelujah. Hallelujah, I can trust in my God. Notice the first two verses, David himself praised the Lord. David was the king. He was head over a country. And he didn't tell his subjects to praise. No, he led the way by praising the Lord himself. And then following his praise, David exhorts his readers to trust in God, no matter what your circumstances are. He reminds us, all that trusting God is a necessary and acceptable way of praising God. In verses 3 and 4, we are told not to trust in men, not to trust in your spouse or a family member or a child or a friend because, listen, in one way or another, they will let you down. And I know so many of us, myself included, trust in our spouse for comfort and strength and support. But David reminds us that our lives are finite here on this earth. And so we should trust God alone. He is the one that we trust. And then in verses 5 through 10, David lists several reasons why our trust should be in God alone. We should trust God because he is the creator and sustainer of all creation. We should trust God because he is a loving, fair, benevolent, compassionate God. We should trust God because it is his grace that brings salvation and hope to the humble and lowly. And we should trust God because his kingdom is eternal. His reign is forever. And he is worthy of all our praise, no matter what our circumstances on this earth are. So no matter where you find yourself in life, no matter where you are, whether you've been single for a long time or you're recently singled for whatever reason, let me tell you, trust in God himself. He can be trusted. I'm gonna ask Jason to come to the front. We're gonna have our invitation time. And as he comes, I'd like for you just right where you're sitting, whether you're single or not, maybe you know someone who is. Maybe you know someone who's struggling and hurting. They're longing 
for someone other than God himself. This, our God, he is the answer. And maybe you're here this morning and you have never put your faith and trust in Jesus alone. Let this be that day. Listen, don't walk out of here thinking, well, I'm a good old boy or I, I do a lot of good things. But let me tell you, it will not cut the mustard when you get to heaven, so to speak. There is one way to salvation and his name is Jesus. And maybe you're here this morning and you, you need to join the church. As soon as we stand, I'd invite you to come down and say, Brother David, I want to join the church. Maybe you need to make a public profession of faith. Maybe you need to surrender to some sort of ministry. Whatever it is, I trust that you will hear God's voice and you will obey. Let's stand together. I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that we can lean on these promises that you've given us. That no matter where we are in life, you have a purpose for us. You have a place for us. That we're not second best. Because Jesus died for all. In his name we pray. Let's sing together.